Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Heart of White Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Heart of White Campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Heart of White Ministries, please visit heartofwhite.com. Hearts settled and focused before the Lord. Let me kind of do some housekeeping about where we'll be going in um, the weeks to come. We're moving back into the book, Believe. Uh, we did a 10-week series out of this. Believe has 30 chapters, collections of scripture readings um, around a particular theme. We did uh, the Believe and key uh, doctrines of our faith in the first 10. The next 10, we're looking at practices, not that give us credit with God, but that shape our hearts and put us before God. And so each week, this week is chapter 11. I'll take the scriptures there. We'll focus on that verse. Those of you who've picked this up, you may want to, again, read along with it. The call to worship this morning would have been one of those readings from the week. The text from which I'm preaching, uh, preaching today is from that. The three preaching pastors are all reading and studying together out of that. And so that lets you join in with us in that regard. Now, the next thing I want to do is kind of introduce us to a key concept. We're going to be reading through the book of Hebrews, and I'll be preaching from a passage there. So I wanted to give you this picture. When you think of the book of Hebrews, it's specifically in the New Testament to help us make the bridge between the old and the new. The Old Testament, God's revelation, but it says a shadow of the real rock. It's a model of the true and perfect. And so here's how I keep that in my head, and I'm going to tell you a Christmas story about myself. This is what I got for Christmas. You can see it's a Christmas ornament. The little hanger is on the back there, but it's of a beautiful little car, a Mazda Miata. It's a great Christmas ornament. But you know what's better? The real thing. And in the same way, the Old Testament, the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood, these are good, but they are a shadow, says the New Testament, of the true and perfect good thing. And so there's a high priest in the Old Testament, but the better high priest is Jesus. All that the Old Testament teaches is pointing to Jesus. You know why I'm so sure of that? Is because Jesus said it. That's a hermeneutic and understanding principle that Jesus gave to us. The law and the prophets point to him and in him are settled. So is the Old Testament good to study? Absolutely. It's a model. I can look at my Christmas ornament and I'm beginning to wonder, should I really have an aerodynamic wing? Maybe so. The model helps teach us some things. But the model is overshone and always points to something better, true and perfect. Now, this has some really important implications for us. Why is it important? The reason why is that since the discovery of the empty tomb of Jesus almost 20 centuries ago, Christians have had no need or reason to reestablish the temple, 
the sacrificed or the priesthood of Aaron. Those were the model given to us as God's people to understand Jesus. Now that we have Jesus, that is our focus. Those were shadows that point to something greater. The shadow of the real rock, the model to the true and perfect. When the Romans destroyed the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD, the sacrifice and the priesthood ended. There was no need to reestablish them because the true and perfect has come. And that's the gospel in clarity, in the person and work of Jesus. And so asked, am I for the model or for the real thing? I'm for the real thing. So let's stand, okay, missed that one. That's my car. Okay. We didn't have enough money to buy a back seat, so we just got. <laughs> Remember, model, shadow, true and perfect, the gospel. Let the model teach us of the true and perfect that we have in Christ. I'll be reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. As you're able, will you stand and hear the word of God? <clears throat> Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened to us through the curtain, that is, his very body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Secondly, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Finally, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated and let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have loved us so much that you have not left us alone to face life, but that the Lord Jesus would lay aside his glory and take on human flesh. Thank you that Jesus entered our broken humanity to rescue us from the brokenness of sin. Thank you for all the things that you taught and did in the life of your people, beginning at Abraham, through to the coming of Jesus. Thank you for the way they give us context and understanding in who Jesus was and what his life and death meant. Thank you that as the author of Hebrews reflected on that, recorded it under your inspiration, it was carefully preserved and now given to us to translate, meditate upon, study, consider. Thank you that together we seek you, Holy Spirit, to receive the, the illumination of your grace. Make clear to us how you would speak and lead to us in this uh, particular text. Guard your people from my own uh, confusion and instead make yourself known in deep and powerful ways. For we pray this in the mighty and marvelous name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. 
But we want to talk over the next 10 weeks about some practical things we can do to kind of enter into the life of discipleship, what it means to be discipled, shaped, disciplined by the gospel, rather than the shaping that's going on all the time, the pressures of the world and of life in this broken world. So we're talking about making disciples. Now, a little earlier this fall, we watched a really fascinating Netflix series called Quarterbacks. It followed three NFL quarterbacks through the 2022 season. A guy named Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs. He went on to win the Super Bowl that year. It's fascinating to watch that. Another guy, Marcus Mariota, kind of washed out at the Atlanta Falcons. Tough season. And a third guy, some, some kid from Holland. The third quarterback was Kirk Cousins with the Minnesota Vikings. As we watched that across the weeks, Mary Lynn and I, I was stunned by the challenging and amazing training that each of those quarterbacks did. There was repetition of movement for muscle memory. They would isolate and build specific muscle groups, train particular reflexes, eye-hand coordination, work for flexibility. They worked and worked and worked, not because they enjoyed work, but because they loved the game. Their goal was not the training itself. There's no awards for, you lifted the most weights. No, their motivation was love of the game. These athletes trained for love of the game and what it meant. They wouldn't go through all that hard work, those bruises and injuries, if they didn't love the game. Okay, I get it that a couple million dollars helps keep them focused, but it all starts with the love of the game. You don't get there if you don't start with a love for something. The disciples of Jesus have access to a number of personal habits that are for faith similar to what training is for quarterbacks. We're going to look at worship today, but worship, prayer, Bible study, serving with spiritual gifts, generosity, these things are the sorts of training we do to shape our heart, the things we love and are accustomed to. We love Jesus because he first loved us, the scripture teaches us. These spiritual practices become training for diving deeper into that experience of love. Do you want to experience more love in your life and in your relationships? Well, the way to do that is gain deeper access to the love that God has for you experientially. And here are some straightforward practices week by week by week. Today, we'll look at the first one, worship. But these practices put us in place to train and go deeper in not just the love of a game, but the love of a Savior. We love Him because He loved us. This is an important step, and I would think wherever you are, this has key meaning because, friends, these faithful practices are for everyone. If you're a middle schooler, just starting off kind of an independent life of faith, these are the practices that can get you through a lifetime with a a vibrant personal faith. Perhaps you've been a long time with these practices, but I want to ask you, ask yourself, do they get you to Jesus or are they just habits? Oh yes, I love to worship God. That's where I meet my friends. I like the music. Not bad things. 
But the purpose of worship is to connect you with Jesus. Perhaps you're tired and have given up or moved on. You found these disciplines, worship and otherwise, unhelpful. But could it be they were unhelpful because you had the wrong target? Worship should draw you closer to Jesus. If you never cross that goal line, it's just training. The other thing I'm very aware of, and I want to highlight and then move on, is these practices will begin to deepen your life and lead you to a deeper life through all the settings and all the moments of life before you. If I had 10 weeks and a translator to preach in a subway bomb shelter in Kiev, Ukraine, I could do this sermon series. Because right where they are, they need the corporate worship of the body. They need serving by spiritual gifts. They need Bible study. If I was walking with refugees headed north and fleeing the consequences of socialism in Venezuela, I could do this sermon series. Because what they need is life together in the gospel, worship, Bible study, prayer. See, we've got a challenge. We're navigating a culture focused on self-expression. How are you going to make that trip? How are you going to survive those pressures? You're going to survive with these kind of practices and disciplines, not in the doing of them, but in the way they prepare you to meet the one who will be with you and lead you through these things. These are good practices, making disciples, regardless of your age, regardless of your situation. Now, the scripture I'm looking at today begins with a clear foundation, that word since, you heard me highlight it twice. Since we have a confidence of what Jesus has done, since we have a great high priest, not just a high priest who offers once a year, but one who has offered once and for all. Our great high priest made a sacrifice that covered every person. There's enough sacrifice there that it is once and for all. I will never see a human being who is beyond the sacrificial death and new life of Jesus Christ. I have a confidence in that. And since I have that, and since we have that high priest, I realize that true worship is always centered around Jesus. It's not centered on bringing sanity to American politics. It's not centered on food to the hungry. It's not centered on a chance to meet people like me or that I get along with. It's centered on Jesus, who he is, what he's done on our behalf, and what he teaches us and how he leads us through life. It will affect everything else. If you keep the main thing the main thing, the other things begin over time to fall in place. When I reflect back on a worship service that I've either planned or led or participated, I don't ask, did I get out of that worship service what I wanted? Instead, I ask, did I encounter Jesus in the reality of the Holy Spirit? If the answer is no, and sometimes it is, then it's fair to ask, why not? Is it because I was walking in carrying a burden of fear or emotional pain? My own pain was noisier than anything else I could hear. I've been there. Was it because I was thinking about where I would rather be? Eh, been there. 
Would it, because, would it be because the songs were too difficult to sing and so I just stepped away? How about a sermon focused on how I can live my best life right now instead of Jesus, who will give me the life that he desires to shape in me what he wants to do? You see, there's a difference. A sermon based on more on therapeutic analysis and jargon will never be able to communicate the fullness of God's gospel if it's more focused on the self and on the Savior and what that Savior means for myself. I can go to a service in a building with religious people and heritage, but never meet Jesus. It's fair to ask. Maybe it's something in me. Maybe it's something in the setting. But it's fair to ask. The goal is connecting with Jesus. That's what the scripture says. Since we have this great high priest, since we have confidence to enter, authentic worship is always made possible by Jesus and centered on Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so because of that confidence, there's then three exhortations, three let us. First is the let us draw near to God. And that means we worship God on his terms. Worshiping God on his terms as he teaches us to worship. Now, in the larger Reformed tradition, the Reformed theological tradition, there's a principle called the regulative principle. And it's that we take seriously God's instruction on the how and why of worship. Who knows better how to worship than God himself? And that's what the scripture teaches us. Why do we sing? Oh, it's because I like to sing, Pastor. Well, I don't particularly like to sing, and many people standing close to me don't particularly like me to sing. But I sing, and in truth, I've probably gotten better. (laughs) She's slow to respond. I may have stepped past the line here. But we sing because God commands it. The scripture teaches me how to worship. Why do we read the scripture? Is it because I want to get more facts? No, it's because the scripture teaches us to read the scripture publicly, to be praying together, to be teaching. These are practices. We worship God on his terms. And that means our worship needs to be based on and consistent with God's view of his world and what he tells us about what it means to be human. You see, we come to worship as image bearers of God who have been broken by the impact of sin, but who in Jesus have been redeemed. Image bearers that are broken and have been redeemed by grace. That's the context of our worship. Worship is not about self-fulfillment or self-expression. Will you experience some fulfillment and joy? Absolutely. But you aim for that as a goal, you'll never get there. You set your heart to praise God as an image bearer who's been broken but now redeemed, now a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. If you worship from that foundation, you will enter into a depth and a powerful, life-changing thing. The second let us is this, hold unswervingly to the hope. 
Friends, for Christian worship, our North Star is the cross and the empty tomb. You will rarely hear me preach a sermon or go through a whole worship service where I don't mention the cross. Without a cross, there is no Christianity. It's not about behavior. It's about what God did that changes us and a changed us behaves differently. But we need to come again and again to realize the cost of God's love for us and the power to change us. We hold unswervingly to that hope. And there's a reason for that. It's because we become like what we worship. This is a key biblical principle that guides our worship and life together. Let me just read you some text. Um, I'll put these up there, but let me read as well. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and your faithfulness, why do the nations say, where is their God? Now listen to this. Our God is in heaven. He does what pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot see. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Psalm 135, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. And again, later on, those who make them will be like them. Likewise, the other side of the coin Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians. And we all with unfailed faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being metamorphosized, transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. God-centered worship focused on growing from who Jesus is and what he's done, begins to transform us. You become like what you worship. Now, um, I want to talk some about this faith that we're called to hold. And I want to reflect on some of my own ministry and life real quickly. Call this Reflections on the Seeker-Sensitive Church. Now, if you've been running around in church circles, I love to use that term because sometimes church life feels like that. But if you've been in church circles for a number of years, you may remember uh, the 90s where this seeker-sensitive church idea became all the rage. Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago was associated with that, and it was a way of doing and going about church that felt new and different. I deeply appreciated it because of its understanding of our mission to our neighbors. By that time, it was clear that the general population of the United States was moving more and more in de-churched directions. And it was important that we recognize that many people outside our doors were not connected with God through Jesus Christ. We talked about this before Christmas. Upwards of 50% or more in Holland, Michigan, people are not connected with the church. That's the time we're living in. And to recognize that and to recognize that sometimes church life and culture itself obscured the relationship with Jesus. You can get so caught up in the social trappings, CRC or RCA, cultural idolatries, vocabulary, brother, are you washed in the blood? 
See, we can build walls that keep people from understanding the hope of the gospel. And so folks took that seriously. I was one of them. And said, let's alter our church culture in order to communicate. We can change music. We can change preaching styles, topics even. But here's the challenge looking back over 30 years. When that missionary vision intersected with a consumerist culture or worldview, suddenly the way you connect to seekers, whether they're seeking or not, is to tempt them with what they want anyhow, is to meet a consumer need and gather a crowd rather than make it clear the good news of the gospel. The message and the motives were often uh, altered. The programs, the worship services, they would become reshaped by the desires of unbelievers. I don't like this, so we'll just drop that. Oh, here's a hard topic. I'm not going to touch it. Now, we would tell people what they want to hear in a way that they want to hear it and think that the gathering of a large crowd was the fruit of the gospel. Friends, it's not just enough to have a conversation with folks. We want to make sure that the conversations we have point to Jesus. It's not just enough to get people into a worship service. It's in the context of that worship, do they meet the living God by the promise of the Word and by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, some nuance here. 20 years ago, Mary Lynn and I had two teenage kids in the house, and I was no longer employed. I was no longer in ministry. And we had to go looking for a family church that wasn't the one that paid me. It was kind of a change in our family. Oh, we know where to worship, Dad. Where are they paying you? That had been my kid's entire experience. So we began to look for a church as a family, and boy, was I wanting to see a church that would engage and minister to my kids in that moment. So I was glad they could connect at a church. But we needed the gospel that would begin to say there's more than just our need. There is a God who meets us. And it became one of the times that shaped us, Mary Lynn and I, in deep and powerful ways. The seeker-sensitive missionary calling got waylaid by the challenge of a consumerist society. And out of this has grown the cult of self-worship. This author that we're reading some on Wednesday nights, Thaddeus Williams, he's a professor at Biola, Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Very capable of engaging people outside the church. Fascinating guy. He would say that the largest religion in the United States right now is the cult of self-worship. What does it mean for me? What makes me feel good? What inspires me to be my best version of myself? The language surrounds and engulfs us. It works to shape and redirect and and motivate us. Professor Williams has a great book. It's called Don't Follow Your Heart. You see, to follow your own heart, and we had it on the meditation at the beginning of the service, assumes that our hearts are not dark and twisted and broken, that we don't have compromised motivations. It assumes that. The scripture says very different, that our motivations are broken and twisted and tainted, but there's a God who rescues. That's the good news. 
Over the next several weeks, as we look at each of these practices, you're not going to get tips on how to be the best version of yourself. Instead, I'll share with you practical steps on how to stay close to the one who has graciously rescued you from self-destruction. Whether that fits in the culture or not. You know, when Pastor Van Ralty and his church left the Netherlands and ended up in Holland, it was so they could worship. They felt the pressure of living in that culture in that time and wanted to be where they could be more shaped by the worship of the living God as they knew it. Friends, hold on swervingly to the hope that God has given us. We have a message to communicate to the culture, but we dare not let that message be reshaped by the culture. There's the challenge. I wrestle with that all the time. Part of the Bible's answer to this in these disciplines, and particularly with worship, is that we need to encourage and meet together. We need this time together. In verse 21, the writer says, spur one another on. Those of you who love horses understand what spurs are. You get the attention, and then you direct. So do that with one another. Who is it that can spur you on in your life and love of God? Spur one another on to love. And this love here is not some personal experience of overwhelming joy and emotion. It's the Greek word agape. It's self-sacrifice. It's a call to lay down your life for the benefit of others, to be an imitator of, oh, who else lived that way? Yeah, Jesus. He would lay aside his glory. Are you willing to lay aside your glory? He would lay aside his life. Are you ready to give? That's where he's calling us. That's what we're to spur one another onto. And good deeds, practical ways that the fruit of the Spirit is shown in the life of believers that engages other believers as well as unbelievers, invites them to be shaped by God and who he is and what Jesus did on the cross. That's what worship is. It's about a different thing shaping us than the world. And so corporate worship is essential to discipleship. What is it that's shaping you? I'll close with an experience I had Friday. I took some time to look up and to watch a recording of a wedding ceremony. Now, I've been in ministry for a long time, and I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies. I've thought about what should be in a wedding ceremony and how to do that. And I've worked with brides and grooms and families about what should be in a wedding ceremony. So I wanted to see how they did the wedding ceremony that ABC broadcast as the golden wedding. And I want to tell you something, if you ever want to see how the church of self-worship does weddings, go back and look at that. There's a way that you do a wedding in Christ, and there's a way that you do a wedding in the church of self-worship. Now, they prepared for it by way of self-worship. These two found each other on national TV, that whole program, The Golden Bachelor. His bride was the last woman left after several episodes of encounter, evaluation, and rejection. How comfortable is that? It's brutal. The process included, I was stunned 
when it was down to only two women, this guy, Gary, had what I'm calling an overnight audition. Oh, they marketed it much nicer. That was the episode of the fantasy suite and overnight date. Let me tell you, friends, if you want what God has intended you for marriage, don't include the fantasy suite and overnight date. And I would tell you, I would tell any woman here today that if any, it's not a man, if any male, human, wants to audition you one night and audition another woman the other night, here's my pastoral counsel. Take these two fingers. Smile, because we do these things in love. And then as hard and fast as you can, dig those two fingers into his eyes and wiggle. And then smile and say, I'm just doing what Pastor Bill told me. I want to tell you, friends, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and I'll just speak to women on this, by grace through faith, you are a deeply loved fully adopted daughter of the great creator king, and that's not how the king wants his daughters treated. And I'd say to men, be a man, a deeply loved, fully adopted son of the great creator king. This is what Jesus called us to. So friends, that's the pressure of the world. We gather together to hear the word, to pray, to sing together, to remember life together in light of what Jesus has done, and we are called to live differently. Friends, I want to tell you the challenge of this world. It, it's not the destructive thing, it's not the overnight audition. The destructive thing is that we live in a world where that makes sense. I don't want to pass a law to stop overnight auditions. But I do want to proclaim the gospel that'll change a heart that thinks that's the way you find joy. Do you see the challenge we're called to? A heart shaped by self-worship that made an overnight audition make sense? There is where the gospel will change first a person, then a people, and then every tribe and tongue. Do we need corporate worship? You bet. Because wherever we go, we are facing the pressure of this world. And in just a few minutes, we'll sing together, my hope is built on nothing less. But I'm fully aware that in just a few hours, my big screen catechism panel, you know what I'm talking about there in my living room. My big screen catechism panel will teach me to sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jared Goff and Sam Laporte. <laughs> See, what's shaping your heart and your values and your life? We get an hour to worship with Jesus, roughly. The NFL is asking for three hours to shape and to influence you, to give you a picture of what it looks like to be a man or a woman or to be successful. The, no wonder the writer of Hebrews says, don't stop meeting together. We need to encourage one another. This week, your job will be expecting a bunch of hours 
in which it will shape you. Oh, it'll pay you for it, but it'll also shape your values and push you. Your coach, if you're in sports, your social media feed can tell you whether you're losing or winning. Your liquor will help you hide from the pain, but only the gospel, as we experience it worshiping together, can show us what real love is and begin to train us in that because you become like what you worship. What is it that's shaping you, your values, your hopes, the things you'll sacrifice for, your goals? What is shaping you? What I love, I worship. What I worship is what I become like. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to walk deeply and to navigate the pathways of our heart. We live in such a high-pressured, confusing, even rebellious world. And yet in the midst of this, by your grace, you've reached out to rescue us. You've called us on a mission to share the good news, not of what we are, but of what you have done. And so help us to invest the, the time, the focus, to train like anyone who loves something, to prepare ourselves, to equip ourselves, to put ourselves in a place to grow because we love the Savior. Cultivate that love where the distraction of the world has captured us. Rekindle that love where there are so many loves in our life that we aren't able to get them ordered. Begin to work in us and shape us after that one love. We thank you for your great power and grace. Thank you for the mercy that you lead us along in the journey. Thank you that you never called me to be perfect. You just called me to follow and trust. So by your grace, we aim to do exactly that and to do it together. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.